for your giving. If you have your Bible, I invite you to join me in the book of Isaiah 53. Or if you have the Westover app, our scripture and our points are in the Westover app. I invite you to join me. I want to speak this weekend on the subject, the subject of lend me a hand. Every one of us see here, we've said that to somebody before, a co-worker, a helper, maybe parents, you know, one is diapering and trying to feed another one at the same time. Say, lend me a hand. All of us in life have said that, lend me a hand. You know, even in our marriages, there's a moment we've got to say, lend me a hand, because sometimes we get to the point where our, our marriage needs to get jump-started. You know, a marriage is kind of like a car battery. It's always being drained, and it's always wearing down, and you have to recharge it. And sometimes we get in the point where we say, lend me a hand. I, I, we've got to get over a hump here, sometimes just in life. Sometimes life will just bring surprises and yank the rug out from underneath us. And we say, lend me a hand. Parenting. Parents, sometimes you're saying, lend me a hand. You know, when they're, when they're toddlers, when they're infants, they are the cutest things. But then they become teenagers. And you say, who is this person? Oh, who is this person? I mean, you go through that season and you're saying, I need a book, a seminar, or, or a sheriff, or so I need something to kind of help me get through this season. Lend me a hand. All of us are at that point sometime. You're saying, lend me a hand. I, I remember I came to church one Sunday, and one of the dear sisters of the church, she came up, and she just kind of needed a pastor's hug. So I hugged her, and I, as I was hugging her, I noticed her shoulders were, were just moving, racking sobs. And I knew her heart was heavy. And she whispered to me, she said, Pastor, my boy, he's passed away in prison. And oh, oh, that moment, her heart was so heavy. And she was saying that day, I just, I, I need a hand. I, I need somebody to help me through this. You know, in life, life doesn't always have handrails. And when we take a wrong step or we slip on something, we make a mistake, we need a handrail, you know, to kind of hold on. Life doesn't have handrails. And some experiences of life can knock us off our feet. I remember several years ago, I received a phone call from a family. I, I, they were attending a little bit, but they asked, could they come by my office about 3 o'clock and see me? They just said, we're, we're having a rough time. And I was speaking to the wife, just having a rough time in the marriage, just trying to go, just going through something. Can we talk to you? I said, sure. So we set it up 3 o'clock that afternoon, come by. I'm not sure if I'd ever met her husband or not, really wasn't certain, but they want to come by, going to pray with them, maybe read scripture with them, try to just maybe help them negotiate a moment in their marriage. Well, 3 o'clock came, they didn't show up, 3.30, 4, 4.30, May never came. So I thought, well, maybe something happened, uh, got distracted, they couldn't work the schedule out. So I went home and I, I turned on the television and I was caught. Their names were on the evening news. They were to be in my office at 3 o'clock at 3.30 that afternoon. He shot her and shot himself. And I thought, oh God, what, 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 where were they at? They were at a moment for some, they needed a hand and somehow they couldn't see that. Somehow they couldn't procure. They reached a point of hopelessness where, where they felt like they couldn't do anything else. And, 
and, and, and made, such a, made such a poor choice. You know, in life, every one of us at times, we're going to need a helping hand. There's a phrase that's very common. If you say this phrase, I'm going to ask you to get rid of this phrase from your vocabulary because it's unscriptural. The Bible doesn't teach it. But it's one that we kind of use frequently. It says, God helps those who help themselves. If you've ever said that, please stop saying that because it's not scriptural. And I know we use it to encourage somebody, you know, get up, do something, and God will help you work. I understand the motivation behind it, but the theology is absolutely wrong. Because God helps those who cannot help themselves. We don't have to be in a self-help program in order to get God's grace and God's favor. We don't have to earn something. Can I tell you, God's in the business of helping people who cannot help themselves and let's don't let's don't give the idea that somehow we earn our access into God in some way today we're going to have an altar moment in just a moment I'm going to call the prayer team together and the deacon and deaconess and both balcony and main floor we're going to pray and there's three areas I'm going to invite you to pray over and I'm going to break it down from our scripture today that I believe Jesus wants to speak into our life and help us and it's an area you're saying god give me a hand i need a helping hand with that i'm going to invite you to go to isaiah chapter 53 we're talking about jesus isaiah 53 has been called the fifth gospel beyond the four gospels in the new testament no other book in the bible talks more about jesus than the book of isaiah in the old testament and chapter 53 is it's kind of that leading, pristine chapter on the Messianic prophecies that give us an understanding of who Jesus is. And it opens up with verse number one. Who has believed our message and to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? To whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? Let me put this in our vernacular. You're not going to believe the message. Most people don't realize this, but God is lending a helping hand to people. That's what it's saying. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It's a rhetorical question to say to everybody, God is extending a helping hand. God is extending a helping hand to me, to you, to your family, to your kids, to your grandkids, to your cousin, to your alcoholic brother-in-law. God extends a helping hand. And then going beyond that, Chapter 59, don't turn there, but let me just mention, verse number 1 says, His hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. I love that. It tells me God is not handcuffed. God can reach. God's arm can reach to your life, your corner, your family, your heart. God can do something with you. Let's go on to verse number 4, 5, and 6, three verses. And in verse number 5, I'm going to unpack three things that God is extending a helping hand to us in. Verse number 4. Surely, it speaks of him, surely he, that's Jesus, surely he took our pain and he bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each one of us has turned to our own way. Boy, if that does not represent human nature... But it ends with this, verse number 6. 
And the Lord has laid on him, notice this phrase, the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's three things that Jesus provides for us. Three areas he gives us a helping hand. Number one, number one is salvation is for everyone, which speaks of spiritual healing. I want to talk about spiritual healing for a moment. It's found in verse uh, number five. Look at that first sentence, that opening phrase of verse, of verse number five. But he was pierced for our transgression and he was crushed for our iniquity, which speaks to spiritual healing. There's two words there, transgressions and iniquities. Now, they're kind of scary words. They're not words you use in your everyday language. You probably weren't on a conversation with somebody on the phone this past week and used the word iniquity. You probably didn't text the word iniquity. It's, it's not in our everyday conversation. A little bit of intimidating in the words. So what are the words? Both words, notice they're in the plural. That's important. They're in the plural. Both words are used to describe sin. But there are two words. Is it just a synonym? Is God just saying the same thing two different ways? No, God is saying two different things, and it's in the plural. Notice, it's not the one time. God is going to work with all of our failures, all of our sins. Transgressions and iniquities. What is a transgression? A transgression is the wrong thing we do. It's the act of sin. If you tell a lie, that's a transgression. It's the act of sin. If you blow your temper, if you say something, you spit out an insult, the very act of what you said, the wrong thing you did, that would be considered and classified by Scripture as a transgression. If, if you responded wrong, if you, 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 uh, you did the wrong thing, a, a habit, a, a, a life practice, something that was wrong, the actual act of it is a transgression. But the Bible says the Lord laid on him both our transgressions and our iniquities. In the plural, what are iniquities? Iniquities is the source of sin. Transgression is the action of sin. When we do something wrong, that is a transgression. Why we do it, the sin nature, the source of that sin is iniquity. Within every one of us, there is iniquity. That's why we do and we sometimes transgress. We do the wrong thing because there's a wrong motive. There is sin nature inside of every one of us. And here's what the Bible is saying. That the Lord has taken upon him both all the wrong we do, every mistake you've made, every every misjudgment, every bad choice, every Every time you responded wrong, your anger, your withdrawal, your, your, your judgment towards other people, being critical at the, all, all the junk that we do, he took all of that. But not only that, he took the source of it. Let me put it this way. Uh, transgression is when somebody pulls the trigger, iniquity loads the gun. Iniquity is the thing that causes us to sin. Iniquity is the dark area in our heart that causes the bad actions. It's the scheming, it's the plot, it's the sin nature inside of us. And Scripture is telling us that He has taken upon Himself the iniquity of us all. We have been wrongly taught by society. We're being wrongly taught by the culture of this day that suffering produces evil. And if we would eliminate suffering, you would get rid of evil. 
If we would have more social agencies, and nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with humanitarian effort, nothing wrong with that at all. But when we say that if we reduce suffering, we get rid of evil, that is nowhere demonstrated in society in our world throughout human history. Suffering, well, reducing suffering does not get rid of evil. Evil is the cause of suffering. Evil is in the iniquity. We do, we have things that suffer. People, people are prejudicial. People are hateful. People are judgmental. Uh, genocide, crime, whatever it is, it's because the human heart is sinful. That's the reason why it comes out of our sin nature. And the Bible is telling us God wants to bring spiritual healing to every one of us. Some of us are trying to self-help. Some of us have taken so many self-help courses and books and read this and that. We, we know all the language, but we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. It's the human heart. God can and God will change. And if we will allow him, he will come in and he will free us from the dark area of iniquity so that we will not live out transgressions and do the wrong in our life. Jesus is the source of that, and I'm calling that spiritual healing. I remember when my, when my daughters were much younger than they are now. They were little kids. My, my, my girls, I, I had, we had two daughters, and when we'd go somewhere, they wanted to take their little dolls, their little babies with them. And I don't know why it is, but little girls, you know, when you give them dolls and the, they have these little babies, they want to undress them. They take them everywhere naked. Isn't that somewhat embarrassing? I mean, come on, think about it. They want you want to go out to eat dinner. You want to go somewhere and here your kids are carrying this naked little baby. Baby, put clothes on it. And they just won't. Well, you know, sometimes I wanted to dress the, the dolls. So, but they would rip the clothes off and they would take these naked babies with them everywhere they go. So we just kind of live with the fact that that's what little girls are going to do there in that season. They're just going to rip the clothes off they're going to take the baby with us naked everywhere we went well one day my daughter she had her favorite doll this was this was not just a random this was her favorite doll this is the doll if we went somewhere we had to have this is the doll that if we went and we uh were somewhere else and she didn't have it with it she was crying this is the one that if we got in the car and she didn't have it we would stop the car put it back in park go denise would go back inside and bring this particular doll it was her favorite baby doll and i still recall this i can see this image like it was yesterday i was complimenting to her her baby doll and I was saying oh you do such a good job you love your baby you love that little baby that's your favorite baby and I'm telling you no no sooner had I said that and 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 commended her for how she took care of her baby she took the baby reached up there and just bit its hand off yeah I'm telling you right there just bit bit the baby's hand off mutilated that baby in front of my eyes and you know what they say like like mother like daughter i mean i know i know where that sin nature came from i i could i could identify it i mean i knew where that had happened it could not have been from me i mean it could she could not have got that nature from me but there is within every one of us that defiance you ever done something say why did i do that 
How in the world did I let myself, how did I let myself get in this? How did I do it? You know it's wrong. You know it's destructive. You know it's not good for the marriage, for the home, for the finances, for the job, on the career. But yet we do it over and over again. We have this propensity for it. What is it? It's sin nature. And it's within every one of us. And the scripture says, Jesus, both the wrong we did, the transgression and the very nature of our sin was placed upon him. But verse number six says something. The last sentence of verse number six is very important. And the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Did you ever notice that? Of us all. That's so important because there is the common doctrine that's in the American church today. It derived from a teaching called Calvinism. You don't have to know all this, but let me just, let me just reach into this and, and clarify a biblical point here. And it's the idea that Jesus only died for the elect. That Jesus arbitrarily pre-selects certain people to go to heaven and he shuns others and they're doomed to hell. They're people predestined for salvation And there are people that are shunned and put out and predestined for eternal damnation, hell. Can I tell you, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible says in verse number 6, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of my sin, all of my propensity, my failures, my mistakes, yours. Your brother-in-laws, your sister-in-law, your co-worker, your cousin, your neighbor, the person on skid row, the person in prison, the person in the, in the highest skyscraper in America, in the Fortune 500 tier of life, the iniquity of us all. There's no one ostracized. There is no one that's alienated from the forgiveness of God. Every human being God extends his heart, his salvation to them. No one is left out. You're not left out. You're not left out. You're not left out. Your kids are not left out. Your grandkids are not left out. Your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, your future son-in-law, your future daughter-in-law. God, through Jesus Christ, has extended salvation for all of humanity. Salvation is for everyone Don't say it's too bad, it's a lost cause. Don't ever say to anyone or any heart, they're beyond reach. They cannot change. It will not happen. Because the Bible tells me, the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Everyone's mess. Jesus died upon the cross in order to free. Number two, where Jesus provides. Jesus provides. Not only, not only spiritual healing, but he died to provide what I'm going to call internal life, which is emotional healing. Internal life. Notice verse number 5 again. After he says that the transgression and the iniquity upon Jesus, the next statement says, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Not only spiritual healing, emotional healing. The punishment that brings us peace, that's emotional healing. I call that internal life. 
One day in church, a child was giving the memory verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have internal life. And the teacher said, oh no, you misquoted it. You made a mistake. No, I think she got it right. <laughs> internal life. Yes. He, he died. Jesus came so we could have internal life. The chastisement, the punishment of our peace was upon Him. It is claimed to be the shortest poem in the English language. Three words. Three words that covers life. And the poet has said in three words, this is life. Born, troubled, died. Wow. Everything between birth and death is, is described in one word by the poet. Troubled, turmoil, emotional distress. How real is emotional distress? Do you know the highest awards from juries are for emotional distress? Yes. The judge, the multi-million dollar judgments that are given, it always references the emotional pain because we recognize as a society and even our judicial system, you can't put a price on emotional pain. Emotional pain is sometimes the, the most severe the most tormenting. And there are people in this room, you are tormented by memories. Yes. You have to sleep with the nightlight on because you go back to a childhood moment in which when the night, when the lights went out, somebody stepped into your bedroom and there was a, an abusive moment and you're tortured by that pain. For some, for some, just the mention of a word or a phrase it, it, it brings to mind an experience that is so painful. Yes, on this date, this date was the divorce. On this date, this happened to my son. On this date, he was put into prison. On this date, this occurred. On this date, this happened. And there is this painful, emotional, tormenting moment in your life. I want you to know the punishment of your peace was upon Jesus. He promises emotional healing for us. Yes, spiritual healing. That comes through God's forgiveness when you invite Jesus into your heart. But Jesus can be in your heart and your heart can be broken. Soldiers that suffer from PTSD that are, are tormented by battle experiences and the raw reality of the battlefield just just exposed to that for so long they can't disconnect for it and the nightmares and the experience that literally feel like they're suffocating and i have prayed and talked with soldiers that have struggled with that bipolarism anxiety disorders depression oh can take you into a dark place where you feel like you feel like there's no hope inside of you you feel like life literally has, has bled from you and you're just going through the motions of life. Emotional distress, the pain, the agony. Can I tell you, your punishment and anyone that has, has dealt with an emotional issue, you so appreciate the word punishment 
and you realize the Holy Spirit chose that word so appropriately because emotional distress is punishing. And the punishment for your peace was upon Him. Jesus brings emotional healing. Yes. Jesus, we're celebrating His birth during this season. He, 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 was, he was born in a stable. Why? Because there was no room in the end. He began life experiencing rejection, displacement. We fast forward 33 years from there and he dies upon a bloody cross between two thieves. On the outskirts of the city, for those who have been to the Holy Land with us, we've taken you there to the place called Golgotha where they crucified Jesus. It was outside the city gates. Why? Because it was a dump. It was a garbage refuge. That's where the, there was the stench and the smell everywhere. It was in that place that people were gambling for his clothes. Uh, they were taunting him on the cross. And they were, they were talking smut language at the foot of the cross. It was there. That's how he died. No, that's why he died. He started in rejection. And he ended in repudiation and rebuke. The reprimand for all the emotional pain in life. Someone has rightly said, Jesus, <laughs> I like this, Jesus is the tears of God. Yeah. You look at the life of Jesus, it's the tears of God for the pain, for the hurt, for the alienation for the torment, for the shame, the, the junk, the debris we carry on the inside. Some of us feel like we're destined to always live that way and some of us even feel like we deserve it. But what you don't know is Jesus, Jesus, he brings healing, emotional healing. In just a moment, when I finish the third point, we're going to have the prayer team come forward and I'm going to invite you. Is it is it a spiritual healing you need? Maybe there's some stuff that you haven't really given to God, really haven't just, you're carrying that and excusing that brokenness of sin in your life. Or is it an emotional thing? Is it insomnia? Are you tormented in the night season, fitful sleep, and you can't rest? Is it an emotional issue? Is it an emotional pain? Did somebody do something to you and you carry that that pain and that shame on the inside, your punishment so you could have peace was upon him, emotional healing. And then third, wholeness, which speaks of physical healing. It's the last phrase in verse number five. What does it teach us here? By his wounds. By his wounds. One version says, by his stripes, we're healed. Yes, physical healing. Physical healing. God is able to touch people physically. I've pastored long enough and prayed for enough people. I've heard statements like this. The blood condition has been corrected. We prayed for somebody recently last week. I got the report. She went to the doctor. The doctor told her there are masses in your body. and We have to do further examination. We have to determine what are they. Biopsies. She went in for the follow-up exam got the report last week here's what the doctor said 
We can't explain it. But the masses are gone from your body. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I get it. I've heard this. time. You know, pastor, they said I went in and the lab results were wrong. There was a, pos- a false positive on this. And I, I, I understand. I understand all that. But is it interesting that false positives always coincide with healing prayers? <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting when, when people say, Jesus, become my healer? And some of us, some of us are suffering from some physical issues that God wants to free us from. Yes. Some of you have chronic pain, bone spurs. Can I tell you? Go back to the manufacturer. He's able to heal and make things right. Ask the Lord. We sometimes pray for the little stuff. God, just, Lord, let me find Tylenol so I can, I can deaden the pain. I wonder if God would like to just heal you from that and set you free from that. Could God just right now touch that, that herniated disc in your back and just heal your back right now? Yes, he can do that. He can touch your body because there's healing in Jesus. Jesus can set us free. And some of us, we have emotional issues, tension in the home. Because so much of the family budget is spent on medication and it's a financial drain on the family. What if God healed you? Then all of a sudden the money that you were spending on medications is now for you to provide for your family and be blessed. Can I tell you? God's concerned about that. It says of Jesus, He is the arm of the Lord revealed. Jesus came to earth to extend you and I God's helping hand could you say to God today God just lend me a hand God I need a hand from you yes he'll do it that hand will bring physical healing that hand will bring emotional healing that hand can bring spiritual healing to you through Jesus yes So right now, I'm going to invite us to get ready for a season of prayer. I'm going to call this entire auditorium an altar right now. If you're new to Westover, let me just kind of set our culture. Please don't leave, just stay with us. The most important part of the service is altar. We we appreciate the presence of the Lord. I'm going to invite our prayer team and our deacon and our deaconess to get positioned right at the front. Would you come right now? And the balcony and our aisleways right now, our prayer team, our deacon and our deaconess are being positioned right now to pray with you. If you're in the balcony and you say, I want to come down to the floor, you're welcome to do that. We have four stairwells that will take you down here. And I'll be down in this altar praying with people as well. And I'm going to invite you to ask for God's helping hand. Ask God to lend you a hand. Is it for emotional pain? Is it for physical healing? Or could it be spiritual healing? Can I tell you, God, God is here to help you. So if you would join me right now, audience, and just stand together. And I'm going to call you into the presence of the Lord. The worship team is going to step forward. And they're going to lead the entire 
house right now in a time and a moment of worship. And I'm going to call this entire auditorium an altar, the presence of the Lord. If you're not in the front being prayed for, I'm going to ask believers throughout this auditorium to begin to worship and begin to pray, to invite the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit here. If, if you're needing a touch from God in any of these areas, I'm going to invite you to come right now. Just step forward, and our prayer team is going to start praying for you. Just, just come all the way down. Just come down here. If, if there's a line, just, just remain. Somebody will pray with you. You're important to the Lord. We're going to pray with you. In the balcony, the same thing. In the balcony, the same thing. We're going to pray with you. You just, just come on down here. Yes, in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Now the entire audience, Westover family, would you join me in worship right now? Would you join me with your prayer? This is a Holy Spirit moment. This is a Holy Spirit moment. You're welcome to pray in the Spirit. We're a Spirit-filled church. It's not, it's not inappropriate to, to pray in tongues and to speak in the Spirit as you just linger before the presence of the Lord. It's welcome in this house. You're welcome to join us. Oh God, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, in the name of Jesus, healing in the house in the name of Jesus right now, healing in the house in the name of Jesus, oh God.
Oh, my God. 
God. Isn't it great to be in the presence of the Lord? Don't ever let Satan add the word less to the word God has given you. God will speak help. Satan will say you're helpless. God will give you the word hope. And Satan will tell you it's hopeless. In fact, less even sounds like the serpent, doesn't it? His slithering lie. Don't accept it. Jesus, he brings spiritual healing. He brings emotional healing. And he brings physical healing. God bless you. Be enriched by God's presence. Go from the house of the Lord encouraged in your spirit. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you.